Hi, folks. Welcome to another installment of the O Group on the Wolves Nation podcast. With myself, Wolves to Explorer Lawrence Holler, and my colleague, Bathfield Guide Ben Main, here at Wolves Nation. Today, in this episode, it is the first of our World War II Restoration Men series here on the O Group, as we're joined by Charlie Walker and Neil Jones to discuss the project to restore C-47 Night Fright to her original wartime glory and get her back where she belongs flying in the skies above Britain and Europe once more. How did this project first come about and what was it that inspired you to do this? Yeah, well, I guess I guess that's one for me. So, I mean, it, it all goes back to, to memory, really, um, and the history of, of the local area and, and specifically memory, memory airfield itself, I guess. Um, as, as you probably know, uh, myself and my family have been, been based at memory for, for a number of years, uh, over 20 years. And we've also got our family business, Walker Logistics Limited, um, established on, on, the, on the edge of the old airfield there. And, you know, as, as well as um, a role within the family business, I've always been interested in, in aviation and, and military aviation. And um, at the time, sort of going back a few years, I had a, a PPL, a private pilot's license. So I was interested in, in flying and, and learning to, to aviate and sort of at the same time was, was keen to understand more about the history of Membry Airfield, what had happened there, you know, the type of personnel that were based there, the airplanes and the squadrons that, that moved through, through the base there. Um, so, so one thing led to another, really. And I guess I sort of through digging more into the history of the airfield and you know, talking to local people like um, historian Roger Day and reading his book, Memory at War, um, I guess it became quite clear that what was most synonymous with memory was was Troop Carrier Command and, and obviously specifically the 436 Troop Carrier Group who obviously operated the, the C-47. And um, we thought it would be, be rather nice if we could preserve what's left of the airfield, um, just, just draw attention to it really, let people know what happened there and and just 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 mark it really there's there's nothing there that that kind of does that and tells the story really so we thought we'd set about tracking down a c-47 aircraft and we thought you know maybe we'll um if we're lucky enough to find one you know one that operated from from memory we'll we'll bring it back and we'll have it as a gate guardian just you know put it on a big stick out outside the gate of the, of the former former airfield there at memory and yeah, I guess um, we'll go into that in, in a little bit more detail, but um, one thing led to another and um, yeah, we're a long way down that road now. Was well, the famous adage goes, no plan survives first contact with the enemy and obviously you've had some pretty large unexpected hurdles thrown in your path along the way and no, no more so than I guess than the COVID-19 pandemic. How have you and the team managed to cope and overcome all these? Yeah, you're right. There's been lots of challenges. I think, and I'm sure Neil would agree, it's probably fair to say some of those are of our own doing. As I just alluded to a moment ago, I mean, when we set out uh, down this road back at Crikey, back at the end of 2012, the, the plan wasn't to go into as much detail as, as we have done and, and are doing. And in fact, as I said, it was actually initially just to have the aircraft as a static memorial, not even a, a, an airworthy aircraft let alone go into all of the um you know the 1944 you know d-day specification and history and research and everything that, that the team are doing now so you know i think by moving the goalposts we've somewhat created some challenges and obstacles for ourselves you know i'm not you know yes covid has been a challenge it's, it's been a challenge for everyone um and of course it's it's caused us some delays but 
I certainly don't want to, to use that as any kind of an excuse, really. But I think that the biggest thing that we can really get across is just how big a project this is. You know, not only are we making a, you know, an, an aircraft that's over 70 years old airworthy again, we're obviously going into, you know, significant detail in terms of its history and making sure that it looks period correct. So that, that's a massive challenge. And as I say, I think some of that's our own doing, but obviously there have been a few unexpected obstacles. But Hopefully we're we're back on track now. When and where was Night Fright constructed in the USA, and how did she come to be based in Britain? Do you want to delve into a little bit of the history on on that one, Neil? Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, the C forty seven, obviously the the the, the militarised version of the DC three, really kind of um, became the the primary kind of transport aircraft for the US Army Air Forces, um, and Night flight serial number forty two one hundred five two one was uh, was constructed at Long Beach, California, uh, in the latter stages of October nineteen forty three, um, which was straight away straight off the production line and handed across to the uh, U.S. Army forces um, to troop carrier commands. Um, the four thirty six troop carrier group had literally been formed uh, months prior when they were waiting for their their steeds to roll off the production line and um, she was assigned to the 436 and then namely to the 79th Troop Carrier Squadron. Um, there the, she was assigned to uh, a captain of which was uh, Lieutenant William Watson, Bill Watson, who would be her captain for the uh, the rest of the war and um, a few months of, of training as a squadron and as, as a group occurred in a number of um, different airfields, air bases uh, within the States before the um, that inevitable kind of, which way are they gonna go? Are they gonna go east? Are they gonna go west? Are they gonna go and fight uh, and fly in the Pacific? Or are they gonna go and uh, fly and fight in Europe? And when they got their um, movement orders, it was to fly to uh, initially Florida, which meant that they were heading uh, east, which meant that they were going to be going to Europe. Um, so in December 44, the uh, the 436, uh, all four squadrons within that group, um, the 79th, 80th, 81st and 82nd, um, began ferrying their aircraft uh, on the southern route um, to get to Europe, which involved Florida, um, South America, uh, Guyana, Brazil, um, the, the long stretch of, uh, of ocean to Ascension Island, then um, to Africa, um, a few locations in Africa before having a, a couple of days rest up in Marrakesh, uh, where I think they spent uh, New Year's, New Year's Eve and New Year's Day um, before onwards flying, skirting around the coast of, of Spain, um, landing in uh, Cornwall in um, the first week of 1944. For night flight, it was January the 7th, 1944, um, that they landed and made uh, Bottisford in Nottinghamshire their first um, their first home. So uh, a pretty um, quick introduction uh, for the aircraft for night flight and for her crew in, um, in, in, in flying and flying as a, as a military kind of uh, entity um, before arriving in good old grey, damp, dismal um, Britain, um, as it was at the time. And um, yeah, Bottisford was not a happy place for the uh, troop carrier crews had obviously been in, in the nicer climes of, uh, of, of America. And then obviously um, 
South America, Ascension Island, Africa, and then yeah, to to come with a bump down to um the 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 winter of uh, of England uh, really was a massive um yeah I don't know how how would you say it yeah it was a shock to the was, system it was a shock to the system morale was low very low um but luckily uh, their time at Bottesford um uh, would only be for a few months before they would uh, travel down to Membry on the the first week of March 1944 and make memory their home for uh, nigh on a year but we'll touch on that later I assume. How long was that journey across from America? How long would it have taken them and was there any sort of hiccups along the way? Did they have some sort of fighter escort for part of the journey because obviously as they entered the European airspace do you know? No nothing I know of so they, they uh, I think for, for Night Fright um, they disp- uh, departed uh, Morrison Field in Palm Beach Florida on the 27th of December um, and Obviously, they made it to um, to St. Morgan. Uh, I think it was the third of January. So you know, it was a short, short period of time, really, a, a week. Um, some of the crews had uh, had um, you know um, technical issues, which meant that they might be a, a day behind. But the um, you know the, the the rules were that you know the, you know all this was planned out. If you broke down, you were on your own. That the rest of the squadron would not be staying. Um, and they would depart without them and they'd have to try and fix the aircraft themselves or luckily some of the airfields that they were landing in in, in Africa were, you know, quite busy airfields where, you know, not only C-47s were, were moving through those airfields. He had a number of uh, various bomber types obviously being transported across to, to England and, and to, the, um, to the, the MTO as well, to so North Africa. So, um, there was always going to be some technical assistance wherever they were they were going to break down um you would hope um but yeah so it was, it was a, a busy period for them really well, you know we're very quick uh and a, and a baptism of flying of, of fire to especially the navigators who, who would navigate uh, uh the crews um to these various locations um uh, around the 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 especially africa and ascension islands obviously when you got a small dot of uh, of land um, like Ascension Island is in the middle of the uh, Atlantic Ocean, um, yeah, the 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 pilot and co-pilot really put the trust in in the navigators finding that uh, that piece of land and that uh, large large runway that was present at Ascension because there was no turning back. As soon as you crossed a point of no return, you were committed to finding Ascension Island. Otherwise, if you ran out of fuel, you'd be dutching into the ocean. So. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it was a, a baptism, baptism of fire, indeed. So learning. I don't know what you, you, you. I was going to say I don't know what you both think, but I don't. That's not an insignificant achievement, is it? Really. I mean, we all focus obviously on, on what happened once they arrived in the European theatre of operations, but that's often something that's overlooked. That's a, a pretty significant a, a achievement for, first off, really. Indeed, indeed. When you, when you look at it, if you fast forward. Uh, 40 years later, when obviously the Falkland Islands uh, was in full flow, um, Ascension Islands was obviously the operating base for you know the Vulcan bombers and for the for the Victor tankers, etc. Um, yeah, and the journeys they were doing down to kind of the Falkland Islands is you know nearly as comparable as as you know the distances involved in nearly from uh, South America to Ascension Island, and they had 40 years worth of more modern navigational equipment um, to assist them. So um, yeah, what the what the navigators did is. Uh, yeah, we, we shouldn't dismiss it. That's a really interesting point. I appreciate you both mentioning that. And obviously, we should probably also touch on the fact that Charlie 
obviously you've got some serious experience in flying yourself so you know the complexities of these sort of issues personally yeah definitely and and you know even on from that we've obviously got much more modern equipment these days and you know full autopilots and you know much much more luxury and and technology in the front than than those guys would have had it would have been very rudimentary back then as as neil touched on so yeah i, I think that's a, is a significant achievement and i think something that is perhaps you know brushed over a little bit but um yeah certainly not something to be dismissed well before we turn to the fascinating service history of night fright i probably should ask you guys and i guess it's probably my aim at charlie initially but how did this specific c47 come to be your c47 so to speak yeah well that was a process of painstaking research i i guess as i sort of said right at the very start you know when we began chatting we started to look into the to the history and the detail of what happened at memory quite seriously and we realized it was it was the uh, the troop carrier command guys and and the c47s that that played the biggest role for memory so with the help of um you know a couple of people particularly um tom woodhouse who's involved with the project still and um, roger day who i mentioned earlier we actually did manage to come up with a list of i think pretty much every c47 that had operated um from memory during the war and then it was a, a case i guess of you know going through the serial numbers and you know jumping on google and and whatever else and seeing where these aircraft were, were located you know that is if they survived the war and you know if we could find them whether they think you know we thought that they would actually be you know be up to to, to what we were looking for which initially of course was just a static a static exhibit and something that was going to be made to to look right for, for want of a better term but obviously we're going a lot further than that as you know now so anyway we we wound up finding night fright in a scrapyard in arkansas the, the aircraft had failed to sell after being listed on eBay. Um, we found uh, an, an image on Google Earth of a C-47 in this scrapyard, uh, managed to work out the, the incumbent owners uh, of Night Fright, uh, rang them up and, and they said that the aircraft was about to be cut up for scrap, um, but would be for sale at the right price. And fortunately, we were, we were very quickly able to, to conclude a deal. Um, we sent a couple of DC-3 experts, uh, father and son team, Frank and Glenn Moss, uh, based in Florida, down to do a survey on night fright. Um, and yeah, very quickly, to be honest, they, they dragged her out of the weeds. And I do mean literally dragged her out of the weeds and, and had her taxiing around and, and did a, a short test flight and, and moved her back to their base um, in Punta Gorda in Florida. Wow, that's quite something. So she actually was airborne then? Yeah, the, the, the irony of that, is not lost on me and i'm sure it's probably <laughs> not not lost on neil either that we've essentially taken what was a serviceable aircraft and i mean that in a fairly loose way um mm. and turned it into something that's um essentially a giant airfix kit albeit one that's that's coming together quite nicely um but i suppose the easiest way to to uh, to describe that in a way that people will understand is that we're obviously taking something that post-war had been converted into something that's, that's for civilian purposes um, and returning it to its 1944 period specification, but also at the same time rebuilding it and modernizing it and, and making it safe for today's flying environment. We'll definitely go on to that in a minute because that's what makes, I suppose, this project so special, really. Um, Neil, I'm probably going to this one at you. I mean, Night Fry has a quite remarkable service history during the war, doesn't she? 
Yeah, huge. Um, yeah, at the time when, when Charlie and, and Tom and, and Roger were, were kind of researching um, those C-47s that would have operated with the with the 436, um, yeah, I think night fright kind of were being found. And then, yeah, it's like, you know, you, you, you're unpeeling kind of layers of history. And uh, it's, it's taken a while to really kind of, you know, understand exactly what Night Fright did. You know, there's, there's you know loads of different types of documents uh, that we've kind of uh, found information from, from you know the the um, the flight manifests, um, you know the the flight logs of of the co-pilots uh, to kind of understand that, you know, not only did Night Fright did the big one, which is obviously the D-Day invasion, um, you know, dropping you know the paratroopers from the 101st Airborne on uh, you know the night of nights. In the evening of the, the 5th of June into the early hours of 6th of June. Um, she then, you know, hours later was back in the air, in the air uh, over Normandy towing a horse glider. Um, yeah, then every airborne operation you can think of in, in, in the ETO, uh, Night Fright was involved from um, down in southern France before Operation Dragoon. She towed a glider on day one, then a resupply mission on day two. Um, Back to England with a, you know, within a few weeks, then for Operation Market Garden, for another para drop with a 506 uh, parachute infantry regiment on day one, then glider toes on day two, I think it's day three as well before weather obviously curtails um, uh, the glider toes, um, the Bastogne resupply missions, uh, night fright. Well, and, and all of memory was was heavily involved for the uh, for the resupply because most. Um, C-47 from the other groups were coming to Membry to, to pick up the supplies uh, to fly them over Bastogne to, to airdrop them to the Bleager troops of the 101st. And then finally, um, the, the largest airborne operation of World War II, Operation Varsity. Um, but by then, obviously, the, the 436 had, had moved from, from Membry to uh, Melun in France. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, that, I don't think that, you know, you, that is the you can't think of a better pedigree of an aircraft um, uh, if you want as a as a restoration project. Something that's that's you know full of military history, full of um, stories. You know, there's there's you know battle damage on the aircraft. Um, yeah, I, you know, as a as a World War II historian and you know concentrating on the C forty seven gliders of Troop Carrier Command, yeah, I can't think of a better example uh, of a, of a C forty seven to restore. Um, obviously, it's taken. A fair bit of time and money to do that, but um, my God, am I grateful? Night Fright's been saved. Well, it's certainly got a remarkable service history there. And as you say, if you're going to do it, you might as well do it right. And we're going to touch on that in a second. Um, you mentioned there, Neil, the, the battle damage. I mean, can you talk us through some of the crew's experiences and obviously Night Fright's experience. Was it damaged much during these airdrops and resupply missions? So the the D-Day paradrop for the 1st Battalion of the 502nd, um, one documented case of, uh, of the battle damage was um, that literally on, on after the, the, the troops had jumped out of the aircraft, we believe that on the nearly, on the, on the turn that, they, the, that the crews did to aim them uh, to get back over, over uh, the coast to get back, uh, back to England, um, uh, she was struck by a 20 millimeter round from a, a German anti-aircraft um, weapon, and uh, it went through the the navigator's um, cabin, and 
by the sounds of it, the, the navigator, uh, Second Lieutenant Arthur Thornton, he was stood upright, um, in, basically in between the, the nearly the two pilots kind of looking in, through into the cockpit. And this round nearly took his head off. Um, and the aircraft came back, you know, everybody was fine. The aircraft was fine. Um, it was it was quickly patched up before, obviously, uh, you know, 10 hours later, I think she was back in the air again for the for the uh, the glider tow. Um, but that quick battle damage repair has remained on the on the aircraft um, since then. Um, and then, you know, when you look, go inside the the navigator's compartment now, that hole that was created from the 20 millimeter round is there still present. Um, so, you know, that is a fantastic piece of history, which will obviously never, ever um, be touched by us as a restoration team, um, because it is part of Night Fry's history. Um, and obviously the poignant stories of, of what we know, what happened to Night Fry's navigator after he was reassigned um, to 9th Bomber Command following D-Day. Um, it's one of those stories that will ever remain as part of Night Fry's. Um, the glider tow the, on, you know, on the same day, on the 6th of June, um, towing a horse glider. So obviously your, your, your airspeed is, is slower because of the, of the glider behind you. Um, and the German crews uh, that were operating the anti-aircraft uh, artillery were ready and waiting around um, landing zone W and up through um, Semiragles. And uh, night right was, was hit approximately 100 times. Um, which luckily uh, she kept on flying, good old Douglas products. Um, she made it back to memory, but unfortunately she was out of action for four days while the uh, the mechanics um, got to work in patching her up. Um, so there's, and some of that damage is still present. Um, the most of it has obviously been, you know, skins have been replaced over time. So, um, but yeah, that is, you know, part of Night Fry's documented history. So, um, yeah, so she's, She's been there, done that, and uh, we know that um, from obviously the, the the wartime history and the diaries that we have um, through to actual physical remains of of the damage uh, still being on the aircraft. Some incredible permanent reminders there, and it's great to hear that you're going to be keeping those as like an active tribute. Um, that's wonderful to hear. Oh, funny enough, I was speaking to a mutual friend of ours, Adam Berry of Warbird Coffee, about this only the other day, and then actually listening to Webster's memoirs of his time with Easy Company, the 101st Airborne Division. Now, for those fans of Spielberg and Hank's series Band of Brothers, this aircraft possibly has quite a personal connection with those men of the 506, and specifically even Easy Company for Operation Market Garden, doesn't she? Yeah, definitely for the 506. Um, the 506 departed from memory airfield for, for Market Garden on the 17th of September 44. We don't have any any manifest or kind of um, documents to kind of really nail down which squadron flew which um, uh, company, unfortunately. Yeah, we'd love to know, um, yeah, from which company kind of uh, went with which, with which aircraft and which squadron. Um, but... At this time, we don't know. Uh, the only thing we do know, it was the 506 that uh, that travelled that short distance um, from either Olborn or Ramsbury um, to uh, to get to memory and to uh, fly to Holland. Um, so, yeah, if anybody's out there that has, you know, crew manifest for for day one of Markey Garden, we'd be interested in, to see them. Because at least, you know, if we knew um, the, the crew names of the C-47 pilots, yeah, that would be that would be enough of a lead for me to kind of nail down um, who flew who on, on that day. 
Well, Night Fright Service obviously did not just end with the ending hostilities in 1945, did it? What became of her after the war? Charlie, that's you, I'd say. Yeah, that's, that's cool. I'll, I'll jump in there a little bit. I mean, it, it had quite a, a long post-war service history, to be honest. Um, it, it flew for, for a number of different airlines operating in, in a number of different capacities. And, you know, we're, we're very fortunate to have some, some good detail around the post-war history as, as well as the, you know, the, the wartime history. So we've got photographs of, of night fright in various different liveries. And if, if I just pick out um, a, f a few significant ones and, you know, how we can see evidence of that throughout the restoration process and, and you know, what that looks like, really. So, um, yeah, it, it would, she would have flown for, for airlines carrying passengers. So probably the most significant one is, is an airline called Piedmont Airlines. And we're very fortunate to have a, a number of lovely images of, of night fright in, in that livery and, and certain modifications would have um, been made. So, for example, there would have been what's called an air stair door at the back as opposed to, to the cargo doors. And we can very clearly see that in, in the photographs. And, and obviously, no doubt, there would have been modifications to the interior with, with various um, soundproofing and, and the addition of seats, um, et cetera, et cetera, really. Um, something else that was quite significant post-war is Night Fright actually returned to Europe. Um, and flew um, on behalf of the French Navy, where they were, were training maritime navigators. And again, we can see evidence of that. Um, it, for example, the Astrodome was moved further back so that they could have all of the navigators in the cabin whilst they were training on those on those various missions. And you know that's something that we've actually had to, to move back to its original position uh, as part of what we're doing uh, throughout the restoration. So, Again, that's something that's pretty significant. And then it, it flew for another a number of other airlines, sort of hauling all sorts of different cargo. Probably the, the two things that it carried the most was, was ironically poultry, so live poultry chickens, um, which we could see evidence of how they had installed additional vents throughout the fuselage in the aircraft, so there was enough ventilation um, during flight. And obviously, when we took up the floorboards um, and looked at the state of the uh, the bottom of the fuselage and the floor beams, etc., there was obviously evidence um, uh, of just what they'd been carrying. Um, uh, and yeah, various other different different airlines. Um, Dodson International was another one which we've got a lot of photographs of, um, and they predominantly carried car parts um, post-war. So yeah, a, a huge history again post-war. I mean, our interest is obviously it's it's period history generally, but certainly the, the post-war service is, is not something to be forgotten. I mean, the airframe itself has got over 60,000 flying hours on it, which in itself is an extraordinary uh, achievement, really, and, and very much testament to, to the design. And, you know, wh when we were paint stripping the, the wings and, and cleaning them just a few months ago, we saw evidence of, of the markings of Piedmont um, on the wings, which is... Um, just as exciting as, as finding some other bits of period history. So yeah, I, again, really significant. The effort and lengths you guys have gone to to make the C-47 as authentic to how it was back during the war is quite extraordinary. I mean, including traveling to America, Canada, Eastern Europe for original parts, if I'm not mistaken. Can you tell us a little bit about why it's so important to you and also give some examples of how Night Fright will be unique compared with potentially other currently flying C-47s? 
Yeah, well, I'm sure I'm sure we can both jump in on this one, but I'll, I'll just blame Neil. I think he's um, he's a, he's a devil for the for, for the detail. So no, no j- joking aside, I think yeah, you know, we started out down this path a number of years ago. I think if I'm honest, we were probably just just looking at finding a, a C47 with memory history, making it look right, uh, and using it as a static exhibit. But you know, you've got to think to yourself at that point. Well, if we're going to do that, it's it's great that uh you know we're saving it but it'd be even better if it could fly so i guess that was sort of stage one of uh, of the change of plan really and then uh, i think you said the phrase earlier if you're going to do it you might as well do it right and i think to be honest that's um that's something that we apply nil to everything that we do whether that's the actual physical restoration or anything else around the outside of the project and you know i think you know when you think of the 436 troop carrier and you think of what nitrite would have done what's most significant is obviously D-Day and memory. So it's very much our intention to make Night Fright as authentic as possible. Yes, it's going to be fantastic to operate her at air shows um, and a real privilege to fly her, but she's also going to be, you know, a, a platform for education, um, part of the museum uh, and the hangar that we're looking to, to put in place at memory. It's going to be something that's there to tell a story. It's going to remember past generations and their sacrifices for our freedom but at the same time, educate future generations. And I think that's something that's, that's close to both of our hearts. Absolutely, yeah. It was just an opportunity, you know, the, uh, you know, the aircraft is being restored back to an airworthy condition, um, which has involved, you know, a lot of, you know, subject matter experts kind of working tirelessly in, in getting that aircraft corrosion free. Um, and while they're doing that, you know, a small number of us, you know, has done the research into kind of figuring out what would have been on board a C-47 in 1944. Um, and then, you know, gone to the, you know, the original Douglas drawings, uh, compared the Douglas drawings to the aircraft itself, figured out uh, most of the, uh, the, you know, the mounting brackets that would have been um, riveted uh, into positions for, for for mounting the, the you know the radio the radio gear the navigational gear, now they've been ripped out um, as part of the retrofits back to kind of airline use um, in the fifties. Every piece of military equipment that would have been on board night flight was taken out of the aircraft. So, unfortunately, we've had to kind of start from scratch in in fabricating, you know, every piece of uh, of of um, of bracketry that, that would have held a, a, an original military piece of, of hardware, uh, get them fabricated from the original drawings, um, get them fitted back on the aircraft. Then you can think about, you know, searching the world to try and find these kind of um, rare components and um, yeah, hopefully purchase them as cheap as possible using my Welshman skills uh, and um, getting them back to, back to the UK and um, yeah, hopefully onboard night flight. And um, it's, it's yeah. I think I think I think one of the, the, those good things has been competition. Um, at the time, um, that's all brother, which is operated by the Kerm down in um, San Marcos in Texas. They they had uh, the Basler kind of uh, do the complete kind of uh, restoration overhaul and and getting it back into the, the wartime military specification. And they've done a, a great job. You know, I've, I've look, been lucky enough to to walk uh through uh Thatchell brother quite a few times now and um yeah she is a great looking aircraft um um but that just spurs you on thinking i, w- I want 
Knight Rider to be better. You know, um, you know, you see, well, actually, it, they, they haven't found yet the the glider uh, rope, tow rope release mechanism. Well, well, let's see if I can find one. Lo and behold, I find one in New Zealand. So we've got one of them to fit. So, um, yeah, competition kind of um, makes us kind of better in a, in a way. And, um, you know, we're, we're all friendly. It's, it's friendly competition at the end of the day. You know, we've got uh, Jason Capra's team um, working uh, Beach City Beta Baby. Um, we're working closely with them. They've got restoring a C-53 and they want to return it back to you know, that same specification as when she was operating in, in North Africa. And we've got that ethos, you know, if, if you've got to do it, you do it right. And it's, uh, you do it for the, for the, for the history, for the crews you know, that, that flew this aircraft. Um, that's why I do it. That's what spurs me on. And, and yeah, even though, unfortunately, none of them will be now uh, alive to kind of uh, witness what we have done. Um, you know, one day I'll, I'll, I'll stand back and think, yeah, I'm proud. We've done it. We've done it right, and we've done it for them. A wonderful tribute to their memory, as you say there, Neil. Yeah. Thanks for listening. We hope you found it of interest. If you enjoyed this episode, please do feel free to subscribe to the podcast or leave a review. We hugely appreciate your support. We should be sharing more information about various things mentioned in this episode of the O Group on our social media channels. You can find this info and drop us a message with any questions by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube at Worldwest Nation, and also Instagram at Worldwest Nation HQ. Obviously, also a big thank you to Charlie and Neil for taking the time to chat with us about this fascinating topic. Part two of this conversation about the Night Fright Restoration project will be out very shortly.